The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. For three billion years, bacteria were the sole living inhabitants on Earth. Today, humans host around 100 trillion bacterial cells, outnumbering human cells 10 to 1. The three pounds of bacteria that we contain forms what is called the microbiome, the ecosystem of microorganisms on which we all depend. But what if this elaborate community of organisms was threatened? Today's guest, Dr. Martin Blazer, spells out exactly that scenario in his new book, Missing Microbes, How the Overuse of Antibiotics is Fueling Our Modern Plagues. Dr. Blazer is director of the Human Microbiome Program at New York University, former president of the Infectious Disease Society of America, and is the co-founder of the Bellevue Literary Review. His work has appeared in The New Yorker, Nature, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The Wall Street Journal, and he has studied the role of bacteria in human disease now for more than 30 years. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Martin Blazer. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So our understanding of bacteria in the human body is really in its infancy. Can, can you um, put that in context for us, how little we know about bacteria compared to other things that we do know in medicine? Well, uh, we have known that we have uh, microbes living in us uh, since the 17th century, since the time of von Leeuwenhoek when he looked uh, uh, at at his own spit uh, uh, under the new microscope. Uh, In the 19th century, Pasteur and the others began to show us the importance of bacteria, and mostly we have focused on pathogenic bacteria, the bacteria that cause diseases like the bacteria that causes tuberculosis or cholera or typhoid fever. And even though we knew that we had organisms living in us, it it was really a black box until maybe the last 10 years or so. And it's interesting when you you talk about how specialized and sophisticated bacteria are, even the type of bacteria on the top of our tongue is different than the bacteria on the underside of our tongue, for instance. Yeah, we are a remarkably diverse ecosystem. In fact, we are composed of multiple ecosystems. Even on our skin, we have multiple, multiple ecosystems with some grand divisions like moist skin, uh, dry skin, oily skin. They each have their own predominant bacteria, and the the skin on the arm is different uh, than the skin on the ball of the foot. So you mentioned or you describe bacteria as another one of our vital organs. So can you summarize what some of the things we do know that they do for us as this extra organ, essentially? Yeah, well, just getting back to your earlier thought, really, uh, we, we mostly ignored them in medical science uh, until recently. We, we kind of thought of them as passengers, that they were kind of living on us, but they didn't do much for us. But now it's becoming clear that they do a lot for us. We know that they help us in digesting food. They make vitamins for us. They train our immune system. They help protect us against these pathogenic organisms. And and we're just beginning to learn many, many of the functions that they have. It's It's a very active 
part of the human body. Even things such as neurotransmitters, which we used to think were solely produced in the brain, are, we're realizing are produced in, in our guts. They're produced in our guts or they are produced by our, our own intestinal cells, but after receiving a signal from the bacteria. So the bacteria, in essence, are talking to our cells and saying, okay, make some more of this or make less of that. They're, they're part of our, all of our signaling mechanisms within our body. And you also sort of push back in missing microbes uh, against the idea that bacteria are are simple or primitive. Uh, what what are we learning that that would counter that narrative that they are uh, primitive organisms? Well, for one thing, they've been around, as you say, uh, since the beginning of life on Earth. Probably goes back close to four billion years, and and they have survived. We we humans, uh, Homo sapiens, has been around for about. 200,000 years, just to look at the difference in scale, 4 billion, 200,000. So um, they, they know what they're doing. And, and the other very important thing is that bacteria are incredibly diverse. Uh, the, if we compared your, your human genome to my human genome, we're 99.9% similar. But if we compare our microbiomes, the bacteria that we carry, you know, just in terms of, uh, of who they are, uh, we are extremely diverse. I mean, um, it, it's, it's even hard to compare uh, uh, some of the bacteria that all of us have. Uh, the variation in numbers uh, between you and me could be as much as six logs, just wow. uh, as an example. So you're not against antibiotics, but you do believe that the overuse of antibiotics is fueling what you call our modern plagues. What are, what are some of these conditions that you think there's some research to suggest a link to uh, overuse of antibiotics and, and their rise? Yeah, so let me, let me go back a step. Uh, because there were so many terrible pathogens, uh, the invention of antibiotics, their discovery and deployment starting essentially in the 1930s and 1940s was miraculous. So many people's lives were saved. It made surgery safe. It made it possible to do transplantation and give chemotherapy. Antibiotics have tremendously affected medicine for the better. On the other hand, uh, they used to be reserved for very, very sick people, and now antibiotics are being used more and more and more. In fact, in 2010, according to surveys by the Center for Disease Control, there were 258 million courses of antibiotics used in the United States. That's for a population of 300 million people. What that means is that there were five courses of antibiotics for every six people, and that is going on year after year after year. So the, the amount of use is tremendous. The average child in the U.S. probably gets three courses of antibiotics by the t time they're two. That's across all the children in the U.S. By the time they're 10, it's about 10 courses of antibiotics. By the time they're 20, it's 17 courses of antibiotics. That's just the averages. There, of course, there's variation, but it shows you the huge, huge scale of antibiotics. So we know that antibiotics act against uh, bacteria, and we, I'm a medical doctor. I was taught and I assumed for all these years what everybody has always thought is that you take an antibiotic, it perturbs things for a while, and then everything bounces back to normal. That's what we used to think. But now it's becoming clear that everything doesn't bounce back to normal, that there could be long-term effects 
uh, from the antibiotics. And that's where my idea, which I expressed in Missing Microbes, comes in, is that now since the antibiotic era, which is began in the 1940s in essence, uh, there are all these diseases that have risen dramatically. Asthma, food allergies, obesity, diabetes, juvenile diabetes, celiac disease, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, autism, the list goes on and on. So either for 10 diseases, you have 10 different causes, or perhaps there's one thing that's fueling all of them. And my theory, uh, which I express in Missing Microbes, is that uh, we are perturbing our microbiome early in life, in childhood, when it should be developing normally. And that's the fuel that's causing all these diseases to go out of control. So when we talk about antibiotic overuse, how should we go about determining uh, when it is overuse and when it is appropriate use? I know that we, you have the problem on the one hand of overprescription, but you also on the other hand have a person coming in who wants an antibiotic even though the doctor may not want to give it to them. Yeah, right. So uh, that's, a, that's a critical question. And to answer that, first let me uh, go back to some of the numbers. I, I gave you the numbers for antibiotic use in the U.S., but in Sweden, they use antibiotics much less. In fact, uh, at every age, they're using about 40% of the antibiotics we're using. So the average child in Sweden at the age of 10 has received four courses of antibiotics, whereas we've received 10. Now, the Swedes are just as healthy as we are. Maybe they're even healthier. And that immediately suggests that 60% of the antibiotics we're using are actually unnecessary. And this is one of the reasons I wrote Missing Microbes, because the problem is, is at both the medical level and also at the consumer patient level. Uh, there are parents who think if my child doesn't get an antibiotic, my child's going to be deprived. I, I want the benefit of the antibiotic. And there are the doctors who also believe that the antibiotic is very useful because nobody was calculating the cost. They were only seeing the benefit of having an antibiotic. Nobody was thinking about long-term costs. The fact that taking an antibiotic might make a child more prone to asthma or to inflammatory bowel disease as has been shown. Our work has shown taking an antibiotic uh, gave kids an increased likelihood of developing obesity. It's not that every child who took an antibiotic became obese, but comparing children who took antibiotics with those who didn't, there was an increased propensity for obesity. And we know so, in, in livestock that the antibiotics, one of the reasons antibiotics is given is to fatten the animals. Yeah, that's the main reason that farmers are using antibiotics in the United States is to fatten up their farm animals as growth promotion. And that's really where I got the idea uh, more than 10 years ago. I thought if farmers are giving antibiotics to their livestock to, to improve their growth, to fatten them up, what are we doing to our kids? Is this an unintended consequence? And that's why we've been doing studies in the lab in mice to see if we can make a model for this. And we have. We have a, a series of models which show, just as on the farm, when we give low doses of antibiotics to the mice, they get fat. So one of the most common reasons people go to the doctor for an antibiotic is an upper respiratory tract infection. And, and you, you cite some interesting statistics that probably around 5% of people uh, who have upper respiratory infections actually need an antibiotic, but 60 to 80% of them actually get one. 
Yeah, it's um, the, the the exact numbers are a little hard to come by and, and varies from study to study, but that's that's about the right order of magnitude. Even if even if you went up to twenty percent, I don't think anyone would think that it was higher than that uh, from from the studies that have been done. And again, in Sweden, they're much closer to the the levels I'm talking about than we are. We're we're just overtreating. Doctors are worried about being sued. You know, if they don't give an antibiotic, and the child has some ill effect. They're thinking, well, I, I'm going to get sued. And the parents are feeling, you know, uh, panicky or they're, they're feeling my child is sick. The antibiotic is going to make them better. Whereas we know from very careful clinical trials that most of these upper rep- respiratory infections get better all by themselves. And most of them are due to viruses. Antibiotics don't even work. But if you, when the parent takes the antibiotic and the ch- uh, gives the antibiotic to the child and the child gets better, they say, aha, that was due to the antibiotic. But that's not what the studies show. Well, you also mentioned France is an interesting case study, uh, a country that had one of the highest antibiotic uses in the world and ha- has since gone on a campaign to reduce their antibiotic use successfully. Yeah, they've been they've been very successful, and it's kind of a model for us. It's it's uh, antibiotics, uh, you know, only when necessary. It's not like antibiotics every time, but only when necessary. And that's for for many people uh, in the United States. Uh, antibiotics are controlled. You have to, you have to get a prescription from a, a healthcare provider. In some countries of the world, anybody can take antibiotics. So in China, they're available without prescription. And the use of antibiotics is two to four times higher than it is even in our country. But that's why we, that's why we pay doctors and nurses so that when you go there, the, uh, the doctor should do a very careful exam on you or your child and decide, do you, does this person need an antibiotic or not? And if the doctor says your child doesn't need an antibiotic, you should feel great. They've done a careful exam. The child isn't that sick. They're just going to get better by themselves. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to Dr. Martin Blazer about his new book, Missing Microbes, How the Overuse of Antibiotics is Fueling Our Modern Plagues. Uh, Dr. Blazer, you, you talk about or use the metaphor of a highly evolved ecosystem to explain the, the role and interface of human and, and, the, bacteri- and the bacteria that we, we walk around with. And I was curious about your concern around possibly losing uh, small strains of bacteria, which I would imagine would be like endangered species in the in the animal world of uh, uh, rare species that could go extinct. What is the concern around uh, using antibiotics and and possibly having a species die out um, that we don't know has any potential benefit at this point? Yeah. So. Uh, what I'm talking about is somewhat theoretical, but there's also some evidence supporting uh, what I'm about to say. Uh, the rules of ecology are the same whether you're talking about macroecology, forests and prairies, or microecology, you're talking about the, the, the microscopic niches within the human body. And we know in general that healthy ecosystems have a lot of biodiversity. There isn't one dominant organism, and there are exceptions to this, and that nature has worked that one out very well. But what we know, for example, in the human body is that we have some, you you mentioned this idea that we have 100 trillion bacteria in our body, and that's about the order of magnitude. That's, That's correct. Some of the organisms, we have trillions of them, 
and some we have billions, and some we have millions, and some we have thousands. And my concern is that every time you take an antibiotic, it may be that a few of the species that we have might be going extinct. Not the organisms that are present in the trillions, but the ones that may be present in the thousands or the hundreds. And that we are losing biodiversity. Comparisons have now been made between people in the U.S. and people in certain developing countries, and we have evidence that we have lost biodiversity. Right now, we don't know what the consequence of that is. One possibility is that there's no consequence. Another possibility is that it's, it's actually good. I don't think so. I think that this biodiversity is ancient. It's been part of, uh, of how we've been living since time immemorial. And ecological theory tells us biodiversity is good. And another very important point is that we know that the bacteria in our body, which we could call the good bacteria, are very important in protecting us against the bad bacteria, against invaders. Scientists have shown that if they treat a mouse, if they give salmonella to a mouse, it takes a lot of salmonella to infect the mouse. But if they pre-treat the mouse with antibiotics, and mess up their gut ecosystem, they mess up the, the bacterial populations that are present, and then give salmonella, it takes many fewer. It, it may take 10,000-fold fewer salmonella to make the mouse sick. And that's evidence of how our normal healthy bacteria are protecting us against invaders. Another interesting uh, part of this that seems to be uh, at issue because of our incomplete and uh, our incomplete knowledge around what the bacteria do and and which ones are beneficial and which ones aren't is the case study of H. pylori, which we originally believed was solely a negative thing, something that caused ulcers increased our risk of stomach cancer, but now we're realizing may actually have a, an upside to it, which complicates the picture. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about the, the journey around H. pylori and, and what its implications are? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. And in fact, the journey about H. pylori is like the last 30 years of my life. So, I'm, uh, 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 so H. pylori was, was discovered in the early 1980s uh, to live in the human stomach. And it was found that people who had the organism had increased risk of getting ulcers. And in fact, if you treated people to eradicate H. pylori, their ulcers went away. So that was a huge advance. It changed the treatment of ulcers, just turned it around overnight. And we showed, actually I was one of the people who showed that having this organism it promoted uh, people getting stomach cancer, which is a terrible, terrible disease. So everything was painting H. pylori as being very black and very bad for humans. And... For, a, uh, for many years, even to the present, the general dogma among doctors is that the only good helicobacter is a dead one. But we, as I said, I've been working on this for 30 years, and about 20 years ago I began to think, well, maybe it's a little more complicated than that because the organism is very ancient, and it's the dominant organism in the human stomach when it's present. And then I realized by looking at different statistics and doing our own studies that H. pylori was disappearing that it was an organism that was once highly prevalent, that everybody used to have it, and now it's disappearing. And in fact, H. pylori is my model for the missing microbe, the disappearing microbe. So the good news is that ulcer disease is going away, stomach cancer is going away as it's disappearing, but now new diseases are arising, like diseases of the esophagus, such as esophageal reflux or GERD, 
and Barrett's esophagus, and, and a new and also terrible form of cancer, adenocarcinoma of the esophagus, which was once a very rare cancer, which is increasing dramatically. And can, and we, at, can we link and, the increase of that to the absence of H. pylori, or is it we, just a correlation at this point? Well, it, it's a temporal correlation. As H. pylori is going down, these diseases are going up. But we've done a number of studies, and other investigators have done studies showing that people who have H. pylori are, are less likely to get these diseases, uh, in, indicating that H. pylori is protective. There, there have now probably been 50 studies that have shown this, although it hasn't really changed the practice of medicine for reasons that I'm unclear about. Hmm. And we've also shown that having H. pylori protects against asthma, especially childhood onset asthma, not the asthma that people get when they're 20, but the asthma that people get when they're three. And there have been studies in humans, and now there have been studies in mice that really uh, confirm this. And these are just two examples. But So the story with H. pylori is, is more mixed. There's definitely biological cost to having the organism in terms of ulcer disease and stomach cancer, but there also seems to be benefit. And most of the benefit seems to be early in life. So we think H. pylori is good for us when we're young, and it's generally bad for us when we're old. Well, it's also interesting about uh, childhood onset diabetes, the autoimmune type of diabetes, and the fact that it's more common in children who've had, who are children of C-sections, in uh, boys who are tall, and in babies who gain weight more rapidly, which all of those things are things that are, there's a higher likelihood that they've that children have been exposed to uh, uh, more antibiotics than uh, shorter kids because it increases growth and heavier kids because it in- increases growth. Can you talk a little bit about antibiotics and, and possibly diabetes and then what we should be doing around antibiotics during birth? Yeah, well, let me, let me go back a little to before birth because as far as we know, a baby in the womb is pretty much germ-free, is pretty much sterile. And their first exposure to bacteria occurs when they're being born. When a baby is passed through the birth canal, they are coated with their mother's bacteria, the bacteria that are lining the vagina. They're coated on their skin. They swallow the bacteria. That's their introduction to the world. In fact, that's how mammals, like us, have been doing it for the last 150 million years, whether they're whales or elephants or mice or humans. Born vaginally means you acquire your mom's vaginal bacteria. But now C-sections have become safe about 100 years ago. And it used to be about 5% of births ended up uh, needing a C-section. And 25 years ago in the U.S. it was 18%, and today it's 32%. So about one out of every three babies born in the United States is born by C-section. They're missing that initial uh, uh, exposure to their mom's vaginal microbiota. And in Brazil, it's 50%. And many other countries, it's about 50%. So we have changed how kids are born, how they're getting their initial inoculum of bacteria. So that's like the first hit. And then antibiotics are the second hit. So, we again, we have more and more evidence that we're, we're screwing up our early life microbiota, the development of these organisms. And that leads to the theory that it's causing some of these diseases that have their onset in childhood, like juvenile diabetes. And 
again, working in the lab, we have evidence in mice that giving antibiotics to the mice accelerates their risk of getting diabetes. That's really fascinating. I, I really, I really enjoyed the epilogue in, in Missing Microbes, Dr. Blazer, around how it would have been unfathomable 100 years ago with the invention of the car that each time we turned our ignition, the polar ice caps would melt a little bit more. It, seem, it would seem absurd, and yet now we know that it's true. And you're, you're sort of asking us to take the same view each time we use antibiotics, that we should be doing a consideration around what its effect is on the whole, both our whole bodies, but also our, our, the human and, and global community. Could you uh, just touch base briefly on s- some other areas uh, around solutions that people should focus on? Well, um, I mean, for us, the main solution is, uh, is to keep doing research so we understand what's going on, for people to be much more judicious in their use of antibiotics. You know, when a child is sick and the doctor says, this child needs antibiotics, you, you don't, you don't uh, d- disagree because antibiotics could be life-saving. But there are a lot of cases in the gray, and there are a lot of cases where the doctor says, no, this child doesn't need antibiotics, and the parents insist, I I want antibiotics. I'm I'm telling you that these cases have cost, and that that parent may not be doing a favor to their child. Same thing about C-section. Sometimes it's life-saving. Most of the time it's not. Some, many times it's not necessary. So we have to have better dialogue with our doctors about that. Uh, ultimately, we may have to restore some of those missing microbes. In, in 1998, I suggested that we're going to be giving H. pylori back to children uh, to replace their ancient organism that has been lost. Uh, I, I believe that today and even more so. That's very interesting, and I'm imagining potentially banning antibiotics in livestock like they've done in Europe should be uh, at least on the table for discussion. Sure. I mean, one of the aspects of the widespread use of antibiotics on the farm is that trace amounts of it are getting into our our meat and our milk and in some communities into their drinking water because their drinking water intakes are downstream of the effluent from industrial farms. So what's the effect of exposure of millions and tens of millions of people to trace levels of antibiotics? We have no idea. It's never been studied, but it needs to be studied. Well, Dr. Blazer, it was a pleasure having you on Health Watch today. Thank you so much. We're talking today to Dr. Martin Blazer, the author of Missing Microbes, How the Overuse of Antibiotics is Fueling Our Modern Plagues. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host.